Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What I was telling myself is like, this is healthy. This is good for my relationships. It's good for my children. I'm showing up in my life more. Losing weight was so healthy and then I'm so happy and everyone's so happy for me. So, so this you have to be, be happy. happy. I was robbing myself of all life's experiences. I got to stop this. I've got to get out of this relationship. I have to figure out why I'm so terrified of food. This can't be it. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome. To almost adulting. Almost adulting. Almost adulting. Are you ready? Hey, besties, and welcome to Almost Adulting, your number one podcast for mental health and dating. With me, your best friend, your big sister, and your host, Violetta Benson. Today, I'm joined by self love, body confidence, influencer, creator, mother of four. I saw somewhere that also said international DJ, so I was confused by that word, which I don't think is the case. (laughs) Feminist and creator of the popular blog, The Birds Papaya, and the Papaya podcast, Sarah Landry. Did I say your last name right? You did. It's my third last name. I'm so detached at this point, but yeah, Landry's great. Landry. It's a little bit easier. Landry. What was, what's your original last name? It's unfortunate. It's called unfortunate. I wish no. Um, <laughs> Sarah, my, unfortunate. My first original last name was Corny. <laughs> yeah, were so you, I grew up were being you bullied in high school. No, because if you laugh at yourself, nobody can do it for you. Period. So I, I really leaned on comedy, but I was like in grade three, and I remember everyone was like calling me horny corny, and I was like, oh, I don't horny, know what that corny. means. As if corny wasn't enough, it also rhymes with the word horny. So that was my horny corny. I was horny corny, and like every time <laughs> I bring this up, my friends from like elementary school are like, oh yeah, that was the best, and I was like, no, that's <laughs> kind of funny. That's yeah, better. that's funny. I mean. When like, people are laughing for something like that, I'm like, they, how can you not laugh with them and be like, yeah, whatever. The second you lean into it and you're like, stop, that hurts my feelings. Then oh my gosh, you're done. They own you. They own you. So I yeah. just learned to laugh. And honestly, now looking back, it is pretty funny. So like, whatever. Horny, corny is better instead of just being, why are you dating her? She's so corny. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best the best is when you would tell people like, oh, like what's, what was your like maiden name or whatever? And I'd be like, oh, it's corny. And they'd be like, yeah, but what is it? And I'm like, that's actually it. That's is it with a K thing. though? No, C-O-R-N-E-Y. Oh. Corny with an E-Y. Just, we could, for a while I entertained the idea of t- telling people it was Cornet. Right. But didn't, didn't do that. That's so funny. Yeah. It's also corny. like my parents' name. So it's like so charming. They're so corny. They're <laughs> so corny. <laughs> so anyway, today's podcast, I am a little bit, hungover so i'm gonna do my best not the best role model right now for that but yeah that's where we're at because i was recording this week's tuesday's episode which is confession corner so go listen to it with my bestie brie and we just kept drinking every time i snorted and 
I blacked out by the end of the episode. It's That's crazy. what with the shock game was? Every time you snort laughed? No, it was every time we listened to a new um, listener's call. Oh. And then, and then we forgot the rules. So it was like three times every time <laughs> the caller would call. It was so funny. Okay, so since we are still in the month of love, which is February month, and I wanted to kind of save the best for last. And basically... I thought the best way to close love month, February month, would be with all about self-love because you can't really love others if you don't figure out how to love yourself, which, by the way, is a lifelong journey. So that's why I kind of wanted to have Sarah on today, and I'm very honored to have you on the podcast today. So welcome. Thank you. No, I'm excited about this topic, and I'm excited to have it in a context of not necessarily having to figure out before being with somebody else either, because I think a lot of people go into the journey of self-love already coupled and trying to be like, wait a second, I love other people. How do I love myself already within this context? And then for others being like, how do I love myself before loving anybody else? Yeah, it can be both because I think a lot of people feel like hope is lost. They didn't find love for themselves before being in a relationship. How the fuck are you going to figure it out now? You're constantly learning how to love yourself. So it's whether before a partner, then after Mm -hmm. a partner, then it doesn't work out. Then Mm -hmm. they became your identity. Now you lost the partner and you're like, who am I? It's again, rebuilding yourself. It's every day. I mean, even today, before we start recording, there's so many things that I was accidentally too unfiltered with and I was just sharing with Sarah everything I hate about myself before we started recording (laughs) and you know it is what it is it's just one of those days it's a lie yeah you're lying to yourself and to other people if you're in a constant state of happiness or positivity that's impossible yes no I 100% agree and I think we have to the one thing I've probably learned the most and perhaps because I felt like I was in a really good spot of loving myself quote-unquote and then getting pregnant and going through postpartum again was that you have to grieve. Like you have to let yourself be upset about the things that you're upset about. Even if the bigger picture is like patriarchy or things you were told or um, ways that you were bullied and all of these outside like beauty standards and all of these things that have like caused you to have these thoughts, it doesn't make the thoughts not there. And it doesn't make them, I'm not saying they're true and real, but like you said, like they're fake, they're lies, but you're still experiencing them. And if you don't allow yourself to have feelings and grieve through them and process them, you're not going to come out the other side. You're just going to shove them down deep and they're going to keep bubbling up for you over and over again and becoming a distraction. For me, it took me so many years to understand how necessary it is, A, to have friends Mm. and how necessary it is to deal with your emotions because Mm. it's almost like a backpack. If you keep putting different books in your backpack, eventually you won't be able to carry it or it's going to break your back. And for me, it would take me for, I would just hold everything in because I was trying I was so much like my father, even though I didn't like him growing up, that I would just, and I didn't grow up with understanding that it's okay to talk about feelings. So mm-hmm. I would just hold everything in. So as a grown up, I would, I get physically ill. And when I, after I get physically ill is when I will then process, oh, I'm depressed or oh, I'm sad mm-hmm. or I'm feeling depressed because my body stops functioning. Cause I, yes. I have, um, I'm immune compromised and then being around my cat, doubles my being immune compromised because I'm very allergic to her. So I genuinely have to deal with my emotions or I would get sick really easily. You know, people don't talk about that enough about how much you can actually 
induce being sick yourself. And I'm actually the same as you. So I didn't know that I suffered from anxiety because my anxiety never presented as like worried feelings or being anxious. But like those things were easy to identify. Like, yes, I'm anxious about this or I'm anxious about that. But when I'm actually suffering from anxiety, it's completely physical. I'm sick. Like I'm in a different state. It feels like an elephant on my chest. I feel like I can't breathe. And everyone's like, what's wrong? Like, what are you worried about? What are you anxious about? And I'm like, I could never possibly put a finger on it. But it's like you said, it's like the layering of things. All of a sudden your body just like can't hold it all anymore. But I imagine like a gate in the middle of my chest. And that if I don't allow emotions, good and bad, to flow through, then they're getting locked in this gate and eventually it will burst. And so I have to have sad feelings. This is my best like uh, context to this is the movie Inside Out, like the Pixar movie Inside Out. And they constantly, basically the whole movie is happiness trying to override sadness. Is the sadness a blue girl? Yeah. and I love that movie. Yes. I cried through it. I love that movie. But we learn from it that like sadness is an important emotion for us to have, to process, and so that we may feel happiness. And I think when we talk about self-love or even the journey with our bodies, it's like we want it to be this jump from A to B process, and we're leaving so much at the gate, and it keeps bursting through every single time we're having these like everyone's going to have bad days. Like it's going to happen. I think the gate is always, things are going to get trapped no matter what there a little bit because of our humanity. But I think that it happens less and less often the more we allow ourselves to be like, I understand there's all these like reasons that I feel this way about myself, but I'm struggling with change. I'm struggling with getting older. I'm struggling with gaining weight. I'm struggling with losing weight. I'm struggling with having stretch marks. I'm struggling with, you know, uh, for a lot of people who are now struggling with new health disorders that they never had before. There's a lot of grief that has to come into play with finding love for yourself because grief, um, my friend Nicole told me this quote once, that grief is love with nowhere to go. And so when you lose somebody, it's easy to relate to that, right? You think of it um, as where do you place it? She she talked about it in the context of going through a divorce. You know, after her, her husband, she found out he was cheating and they went through this divorce, she uh, felt so lost. Like, where does all this love go? I'm, I'm grieving. Where does it go? And she just started giving love to different people, giving love to strangers, giving love to all of these different experiences in life. And I've never forgotten that because I remember when I was really struggling in postpartum, you know, I was sort of like sitting with this new body and with these, all these new realities. And I'm supposed to be this like self-love advocate. And I'm like, what do I do with these feelings? I feel so much guilt. But the reality was I was grieving and I had all this love for myself that needed a new place to land. It had to go into a new body, into a new form. I needed the grief for the love to land somewhere for me to be able to move on. So we need to we need to feel sadness. We need to feel grief. We need to have those frustrations in order for us to process the reality of we are constantly changing. Our love can feel conditional and it's the one relationship that we're in for the test of time. It's the only guarantee that we have. What a beautiful perspective to have that grief is just misplaced love. Like that's so sweet. Yeah, grief is love. We're nowhere to go. That's the beautiful thing is that we all have so much more in common with everyone if we just gave people a chance if we just paid attention we would see that in the end of the day every human being just wants to be seen the whole point of social media is that everyone is able to have a platform everyone is able to have an opinion yeah 
that's one of the reasons daddy issues i was anonymous for two mm. years and that's why so many people were able to relate to me is because you didn't get to judge me by my looks you got you were able to just relate to me that's why a lot of people ended up being shocked when they saw what i looked like mm. because it's not what they imagined because every person imagined that i would look more like them oh interesting i also think that we have this in order for us to have opinions we have to listen to others as well. My therapist called me a sponge, <laughs> which is a really fun thing for a therapist to tell you. But she was essentially like, you haven't formed opinions yet. Your opinions are what other people have told you are their opinions. Wow, that's really interesting. It was a very big awakening. And honestly, a big reason why I changed the way I showed up on social media was because I was literally in therapy in order to figure out what my opinion was. And so the only way to figure out what my opinion was, was to actually write down my thoughts. And how and, and actually listen to your thoughts. We kind of go blindly through a day and we have thoughts, but are we willing to listen to them? Are we willing to write them down? Are we willing to like take a beat with them? Because I didn't realize how many opinions that I actually did have about just even really simplistic stuff, what kinds of movies I like, what kind of music I like, what actually was bringing me joy. I was sponging off of what other people were doing. And I think we do that on social media too. Somebody will be like, this is the best. This is what we like. This is what's in. And we all sort of flock to that. But the reality is like, what is your opinion? I see this a lot with like different styles, like different fashion things that come in and out and people are so quick to like rise one thing up and then tear the other thing down. But what if that's genuinely what you, what your opinion is for your body or what you feel good in, what you feel confident in? Why does your opinion mean less than somebody who's like a quote unquote expert? Like you're allowed to have opinions. And so it wasn't until I started actually listening to my own thoughts in a way that was intentional that I could start writing them down and understanding what my opinions were. But to challenge and to understand what those opinions are, you need to also hear the opinions of others. How can you be so sure in what you think if you're not willing to hear facts or hear yeah. other people's lived experiences and stuff as well? And I think that that's one, th one of my favorite things about myself is being willing to be my own hypocrite. I am not the same person I was at like 20 or 25 or 30 because my opinions have actually changed. They've actually As reversed they themselves. I would hope so. Yeah, like you, I get to be a hypocrite from who I was before. And this is the one thing with like my weight loss. So I lost 100 pounds. Wait, so let me say that. So Sarah went viral. Yeah. When she decided to reveal what her body looked like after three large pregnancies and she lost 100 pounds. It was a 100 pound weight loss and yeah. that was one of the things that made her go viral. What made you want to post that, first of all? I kind of like got traction over the fact that I lost 100 pounds without like being part of any program, gym, trainer thing. Like I just did it on my own because I was doing it on my own, I just picked up a bunch of disordered eating things that I found online and applied them to my life. It was it was incredibly unhealthy. And I was over-exercising and just all of these things that, you know, if you take them in one context, same as what we just say, like you've changed, these words can hold weight, positive or negative. My lifestyle, eating certain way, exercising, they sound healthy and good. They were incredibly disordered for me. So I was just... Yeah, so I got all of attention for being this like poster mom of, you know, weight loss after three kids and working out at home and doing all this stuff. But I think the in terms of like that destination addiction, I always because I grew up in a larger body, I was I was uh, I mean, plus size by the time I was 12 
And I remember once I got thin, it just was like never enough. And I kept getting smaller and smaller. And I got down to like a size zero. Wow. Yeah, there was a point that I just like looked at. I looked in the mirror and I was like, it's just still not enough. And I became more anxious. I became more anxious to leave the house. All of in my head and what I was telling myself is like, this is healthy. This is good for my relationships. It's good for my children. I'm showing up in my life more. The reality of what was happening is I was so restricted that I was spending less time with. I didn't want to leave the house. I now was like this filtered, perfect skinny version of me online. And I was terrified. What if I don't look like that in real life? I was so terrified of people to see me in public because maybe I didn't look as skinny as I did in my photos. So I was just constantly pulling myself back out of things. Like I was staying home more. I was wearing like layers more. I was just, it was a really, really weird reality to get to the destination that you thought and were told your whole life. How many fucking before and after pictures have I seen where somebody's sad and then they're happy? So <laughs> then I get all the way, and here I am posting these too, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm so bought into this. Like I believe this deeply that losing weight was so healthy and that I'm so happy and everyone's so happy for me. So, so this- you have to be, be happy. happy. And I was not. It was the worst. Even when I met my now husband, we were uh, newly in a relationship and I would like wear t-shirts in the bedroom and I would always like walk backwards out of the room because I was like, you can't see the backs of my thighs. You can't see my stomach. You can't see Aww. this. Don't touch me there. Don't touch. I was robbing myself of all life's experiences And I told myself I was doing this in order to have, in order to live life and be happy. And the reverse was happening. So you, I go to this like rock bottom. I've lost all this weight. I'm I'm recognizing that I'm not happy. This is obviously before I started dating my husband. This is like a weird muddy year, but I ended up leaving an 11 year marriage that I'd been in a relationship since I was 17. I moved in with my parents. It was like the most humbling thing when you've had this like cookie cutter life and this perfect before and after thing and all the destination addiction. Like I've got the marriage, I've got the kids, I've got like I just started a new job. I, got, I have all of this, like I should be happy and then it's be all happy. gone. And then I just was like, I'm not happy and I really have to face that. And this was like while working with a therapist of like, what do you want? And I didn't know what that was and I didn't know really how to figure that out. But for the first time I had to ask myself and that the first step was, I got to stop this. I've got to get out of this relationship. I have to figure out why I'm so terrified of food and why I'm so terrified of weight. I had to like go back into like so many different layers of myself and come out the other side. And I mean, it's a little bizarre to now be not a picture of health that I that people wouldn't make me a poster child of that because I've gained weight since then, but I am truly at my healthiest because I'm finally moving my body for joy and for love of it, not because I'm trying to burn off what I ate that day. Right. I'm actually f- like eating it with intention to fuel my body, to live a life. I'm actually showing up on the days that I feel like crap about my body because I know that love is not an emotion. It is an action. And I'm allowing myself the experiences that I rob myself of. My husband now like openly touches my stomach. He sees me walk around the house. I'm like always like I'm just not, I just I was so exhausted. You get to a point of like exhaustion like this can't be it. I did all of it. And it's it's hard because I know everybody listening to is like that perspective came for me because I lost all the weight and it didn't make me happy. And I had the cookie cutter life and it didn't make me happy that I had to like kind of come back into 
what it all what was my but opinion I, I what think did i want that makes you more real and it's more realistic it's mm. no one can be held to those standards not even the person who created those standards because <laughs> hello you couldn't even be you couldn't uphold yourself to those standards it's impossible no, to be perfect i couldn't have survived you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on angie to make your backyard the best around Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And my health was, my actual health was declining quite rapidly. Because I think when people are so focused on health, they're overly focused on their physical health. And I believe that it's intertwined with your mental health. And yes. you're, you can't be physically healthy if mentally you're not okay. And, and a emotional lot of times, health. Exactly. Yes. And your emotional health. So a lot of times we put the emotional health and the mental health on the side. We're like, well, I'm exercising, I'm eating right. Okay, but what do you feel inside? Mm -hmm. Are you happy with this? Mm -hmm. No. Okay, you become OCD with it. It's an obsession now. Mm -hmm. So maybe work on your emotional self. What's the point to go through life restricting yourself from things that make you happy mm -hmm. only to still not be happy and then you die? Yeah, exactly. I think it's layered too. The reality is people gain weight for many reasons and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's like they're going through shit. And I think that we see how society treats people who exist in larger bodies. We straight up witness it every day. It's so deeply conditioned in us to be afraid of that. It's so terrifying. I actually like, it's one of my pin posts um, on my Instagram, but I have like a whole thing that I wrote to basically my relationship with my husband, but the fact that I'm 50 pounds heavier and the fact that that is at the very end of like this poem, which you can read if you want to go creep me. But I say like 50 pounds is like what's made our family, what's made our life. And when I think about it and the doubt creeps in, I ask myself, what would you rather have this life and be thin? And I smile at him and I look at our life. It's not even a question. I do it all over again. And that's the reality is like we are robbing ourselves of this one lived experience that we have. But I think it's also very unrealistic. It's not even about the weight of gain skinny fat. A woman's body already goes through so many transitions mm -hmm. just when we go through puberty, when we go through getting our periods, our hormones, mm -hmm. also through menopause. And then mm -hmm. in between the, the women who choose to be pregnant and to have babies, the bodies, the way our bodies change, they will change for the rest of our lives. So the fact that the way society has now formed women to expect them to just look like, what is it, that lady, Emeretta, whatever her name is, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, seven days after it, like just holding her baby like it's a, a purse yeah. and then having a flat stomach that's so unrealistic. And it's crazy to me that we glorify dad bods. 
Like we somehow, obviously a man created this and we somehow glorified (laughs) that. Like, yeah, oh my God, fuck abs. I love a good dad bod. Wait, oh my God, is that a fupa? Even though you just had a baby, that is disgusting. Go hide under in a hole, you disgusting pig. (laughs) And it's not even- That's how we talk to women. No, it is, but not even in that way. We almost say it in a subtlety because we see somebody who- quote unquote, bounced back and they're praised so loudly that it's a deafening silence when you do not have yeah. the body that looks like it didn't have or a baby. Or be like, you'll get there. Aw, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's only been a, a few weeks. You'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Like, it's, bitch, I'm still wearing my, a diaper. I did this interview with BuzzFeed about this because I was very frustrated one day. I was I watched this woman whose professional job is to be an athlete. She's, a, you know, a trainer. She works out every day. Her body is conditioned because this is like her actual full-time job is to is to do that. So, of course, when she has a baby and postpartum, her body is already conditioned very differently than right. many people experience. And her body went – and this is of no fault of her own. This is not – something that comes out of jealousy or anything like that. That is her body. That is her lived experience has nothing to do with me. But I was so frustrated that almost every single comment was like, snapback queen, you never look like you had a baby. You look amazing, all of this stuff. And like, amazing. I never heard that shit. I never heard, you don't look like you've had a baby. I've never heard snapback queen or um, like, look at that bounce back. I look like I've had a baby. I'm bouncing forward. I'm not about that culture. I'm not about, I want to look like nothing ever happened to me. I gave birth and like the day after, like wrote a poem to myself, like they expect us to birth, bleed, nurse, loose, loose sleep and make it look like nothing happened at all. And I'm like, no, let them see. And it was like this moment of clarity, like no, it, it's okay if your body looks like you've never had a baby. And it's okay if, like you said, the transformation of a woman has evidence of that. We're so praising of women for being sexual, being beautiful, being pregnant. That's like their purpose. And then the second that's done, how dare you be sexual? How dare you look like you had a baby? And you're as, as you grow older, you're slowly erased from media, society, everything. So it's a really hard reality for women when we're just basically meant to look like our 12-year-old selves forever. Why do you think us as women were held to such high standards, not just by men, but by other women? Not just by other women, but also by ourselves, which are held Mm. to the worst standards. I have this like I don't know who said this to me, but it's this whole theory of like your first thoughts and second thoughts. And the first thoughts you have are the ones that you've been conditioned to believe. And the second ones are your own. And that slowly over time, you can work your second thoughts to be your first. But those first thoughts are everything that we've seen our entire lives. Like we have witnessed it over and over again. And we pick that up and we project that on each other, right? And if you don't have that self-awareness of those first thoughts potentially being a conditioned version of a thought or maybe an opinion of somebody else's. We were talking about this before we started recording, but like the patriarchy is not men working for the patriarchy. The patriarchy is upheld by other women. Like it's, we we hold it against each other. I know that we have a higher like women audience and that's fair and fine to say that like that happens too, but I don't get 
as much hate from men as I do from women being like, but don't you think that you could be doing a little bit more? And like, don't you think you should be doing this? And like, you used to be this. Like, don't, like, are you worried about your husband cheating? Are you where I'm like, like, honestly, <laughs> maybe worry about your own husband cheating, but you know where it's come, it comes from projecting. And a lot of people just will not look within because it's so much easier to judge others. Mm. But I will say, for example, when I'm worried about my own weight, where because I got off birth control and I gained 10 pounds and mm-hmm. that was really bothering me, I didn't give a shit that other people said, you don't look at, I didn't ask you. Yeah. I hate myself when mm-hmm. I look in the mirror and that's what's bothering me. So I kept thinking about that with myself, which by the way, I didn't do anything. I didn't actually make changes to lose the weight. I was more just complaining about it to myself every day. <laughs> like I was continuing the same stuff yeah. every time. I got so self-conscious of my own body that I started to notice it in my friends. So if one of my friends was a little heavy, I'm judging her. <sighs> so I'm sitting there and instead of, and I forgot for a second that mm-hmm. I'm insecure about my own body, mm-hmm. knowing I gained 10 pounds. And I'm judging my friend for thinking like, oh, she's a few pounds heavier Oh, in my brain. And I'm sitting there thinking, she will look better if she was a little thinner. And this is I'm being as transparent as possible. So I'm going through these thoughts, judging my friend. And where was it coming from? From my own insecurities, because mm-hmm. I wanted to be thinner. Mm-hmm. That means when you're sitting there commenting on someone else's Instagram who you don't know, mm-hmm. and you're saying, are you afraid your husband's cheating on you? Hey, babe, why don't you sit down? And where's it coming from? Are you afraid your husband's cheating on you? He probably is. So maybe focus on that. It's a known fact. Nothing brings people together faster than hate. Mm. hate brings people together whether it's in politics Mm. whether it's in sports Mm. whether it's two friends all the the talks so So hate is actually a big drive for a lot of people and it's easier because love comes from understanding having to listen having to have empathy having Mm. to even i can't relate to your experience but you know what I can feel it and Mm. you're in pain and I want to be there to help you even though I can't relate yeah that you actually have to try you have to care hate is easy it's it's shutting down being like I can't relate to you you're a fucking loser bye Ooh, hate is easy and we do have to relate that back to ourselves hate is easier than love because love requires action love requires showing up love requires working through your shit hate is um leaning into all the things you think are shitty about yourself and closing yourself off from it all i can count more times and it's not just hating others when we hate others where is it coming from from within because i can count more times even as a big mental health advocate and all that and how much people always think i'm so confident i can still count more times every single day where i hate myself than the Mm. times that i love myself Mm. because again even with yourself love takes effort I have to make an effort to love myself. I have yes. to look in front of the mirror and smile a million times until I feel happy. Or I have to look in the mirror and be like, you're great. I love you. Because <laughs> no one else is saying that to me. You know, yeah. I, ha- I need those moments where I feel alone. Hate is so easy because it's more, you know, fuck it. My life sucks today or I don't feel like getting out of bed. So I just won't. And now you're staying in bed. Now you're like, oh, well, now my life sucks. Look, I'm so fucking lazy. God, you're so pathetic. You couldn't even get out of bed today. And you're just knocking yourself down lower and lower and lower. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. And I think that one thing that to pull back on is when we're when we're thinking about those actions of love for ourselves, it's very easy to relate them to somebody else that we're in a relationship with. Like you've been, if you've ever dated anybody or you've ever had like a family relationship or a friendship that you've had before, it isn't, you don't wake up every day with like butterflies in your belly. Maybe at some points you have that, you have that like actual emotional drive towards that yeah. person. But for the most part, it's a showing up. It's it's an intentionality. It's like looking after each other. And then when we talk about loving ourselves, we immediately are like, but I just want to feel it. I just want to feel love. I want to look in the mirror and love what I see. 
And you might have that sometimes, but the reality is love has to be an action. It has to be a showing up. And the more and more we detach from needing that butterflies in the belly, I love what I look like feeling, you suddenly just go and love what you look like. You just choose it. You have... I don't know, like confidence even in and of itself, the more I speak on it and the more I actively go through with it, I realize that I always thought it was like something you wore or it's something you had and something you held. And now I'm like the most confident things I've ever done, I've done with like my knees literally shaking and I'm terrified and yet I'm doing it. And how is that not the epitome of confidence is being terrified of something and going ahead and doing it. And I think that I I just like ran, I just walked a runway um, like in my underwear in like October. And I remember being like, I was really having like low body image feelings and I was like, but fuck it. I don't want people to feel like they have to, again, that destination of feeling loving feelings about what they look like in order to do these like really powerful and impactful things. And I'll tell you, I walked that runway and I didn't even think about my body afterwards. Like there wasn't even like a, I I was so less distracted by it because it was almost like this, the power of it was just gone. Like it just wasn't this like heavy thing that I was wearing anymore. It was just like, okay, everyone knows what it look look like. Now what? Exactly. Now you have to listen to who I am. And isn't that more powerful? It is. We give certain things too much power and especially when we're silent about it. Mm. It's the same thing with depression. It's kind of, it feels you always think that your insecurities or your depression or and all that it's such a lonely club because you think you're the only member of that club when in reality if you just let it out Mm -hmm. a you're not a prisoner to it anymore b you say it out loud and now it's just it's it's free you free yourself once a secret is told it loses its power exactly so you know you you feeling all those insecurities and then you just go and you just do it and you just feel so powerful yeah. You know, it's your body. I mean, your body is so majestic. You gave life. You gave yeah. birth to life. Like watching my sister go through that transformation mm. was so mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Just the fact that as a woman, you give life is insane <laughs> to me. This thing forms inside of your belly and eventually forms into like a baby and all the organs get formed inside of you. Oh, That's so insane to it's me. It's such a mind fuck to me. Like I, I, I've done it four times and I still... It's unbelievable. Not only are you a caretaker, a mother, a businesswoman, a human that just exists doing her Mm. best, but you've given life to four human beings. And now these four human beings exist because of you. And you dare to even look in the mirror and be like, oh, I hate the way I look. Like, you're fucking God. Like, are you joking? The disrespect. (laughs) To yourself. I actually, somebody said that to me at one point. They were like, you know, I've never really loved the way I've looked after having children but goddamn, I respect it. And I thought, <laughs> gosh, that's what we need. That's what we need. If you can't love it, if you can't pull out that feeling, can we just respect it? A lot of times I'll hear like, my body looks like yours, but I've never I've never carried life. And I'll always say to them like, what about your own? Why are we so invalidating Aww. about the life we carry? Like we do this thing where we feel like when we're disconnected from our body that we've like lost it and we have to go find it. But our body is like literally physically carrying you through everything. It is your best partner in life. And to be at war with it feels like burning the house you're living inside. I don't want to do that anymore. It was awful. It was uncomfortable. It was never enough. And to come to a place where you're like, my body didn't up and abandon me and go down the street. It's been literally carrying my life since the day I was formed in my, I get emotional. Sorry, I get weird. You I should was apologize. It makes me uncomfortable. 
But when you think about it in that context and we're like, how can I hate you? Hate is so easy, yeah. but to love you is through such great respect for that we've made it here. Like, look how much shit we've gone through. Everyone has different shit they've gone through. We only know to the capacity of what we've gone through ourselves. But even within that, if you've ever struggled with depression or a bad breakup or sobbed to the point that you never, your body was shaking. Yeah, your body was shaking and holding you. Like I just, when I visualize it like that, I'm like, how can I, how can I hate you? It feels so wrong. And, but it's take, I'm like 38. It's taken me how long to get here. And it's also taken having to go all the way into the dark stuff and come back out the other side. But I mean, if anybody is struggling with what they look like, I hope they can just find solace and respect for how far they've come and how much their body has held and carried them through life. Even if it hasn't carried life for somebody else, how validating is it that it's carried yours this whole time? Like that's, that's my favorite. I agree. I like that a lot. People focus on the glorifying of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And like I even talked about, you're giving life and all that. And then people just expect the mom to go back to regular life. We forget about postpartum. Even recently, just to even talk about postpartum. People understood like, oh, wait, that's still a thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. Oh, I thought it was a myth, kind of like the clitoris. No, it's postpartum. <laughs> it's not a myth. It's it's real. Yeah. So not just that, but uh, the trend on TikTok now, it's basically where they're showing how to a couple being super happy before the baby. And then it says, no one told me what would happen after the baby. And then the trend, and then it shows that it's uh, the, the scene from Euphoria when Nate walks by Cassie. Yeah. And she's smiling him, looking at the hall, and he just walks past her, like I think touches her shoulder and keeps walking. And apparently it's this whole trend that all these couples, uh, the women, the women are sharing that they go before the baby, happy. And then after the baby, no one tells you this part. And I was like, what the fuck? What is that even about? What are you talking about? And it's basically just how important it is for the couples to connect even after the baby. And I think what's insane is again, the pressure that we as a society put on women. Cause the woman, yeah. she just gave birth. Now she's and expected. then she's expected to not only take care of her child, but take care of her partner. Yes. Because research shows the percentage of cheating goes higher up after the woman gives birth because a man feels unloved mm-hmm. because sometimes the male partner feels jealous of the attention that the baby will get and yes. he will go out and he will cheat. So not so when the woman, she's drained, she's wearing a diaper, which a lot of people don't even know this is yeah, a thing after giving birth. You They're wear, she's, so comfortable, by the way. She can't be having sex because her no. she's healing down there or through the C-section, has, having to breastfeed, probably sleeping two to three hours if she's lucky and... Don't forget, go suck your husband's dick or he's going to cheat on you. Mm-hmm. Like, are you joking? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm talking about. That's what's so insane to me. Where's the support for the mothers who just went through all of that and yeah. the postpartum? Yeah. And I think this is why it's almost devastating that we are having this conversation amongst women because it needs to be so much bigger than that. I, I'm i grateful that I had a partner that is also self-aware. We had a complication in our pregnancy. And so we were only newly married. I think we were married for like a year and a half and we got pregnant. So my fourth baby, um, which is a 10-year gap. So I had three kids with my previous marriage and now two-year-old. we're- two-year-old. Yeah, my two-year-old. So when I got pregnant with her, I had something called placenta previa it causes bleeding, um, detachment of the placenta because it's too close to the cervix, blah, 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 blah. I wasn't allowed to, I was called like, <laughs> it's like such a serious thing. She's like, blah, 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 blah. Essentially, I was put on pelvic rest, which meant it wasn't bed rest, 
but it meant that my pelvis couldn't be used. So I couldn't exercise and I couldn't have sex for my entire pregnancy. For your entire pregnancy? I could near the end because then the risk was like smaller because she could be like born by then. But and that we had confirmation that the cervix or the placenta had moved. So I had a sexless pregnancy starting from when I started bleeding early on. And I remember in the pregnancy and your I was that pregnancy decimated me. Like I have never experienced depression in my life and I had prenatal depression. So talk about destination addiction. I'm Jesus. now at the best part of my life. My career's taken off. My marriage is amazing. My kids are great. I'm pregnant with our child and I'm depressed. Like, how dare they? Like I was so mad that I that's when I got depression. So I've got depression. I'm sick all day long. I'm not allowed to have sex. And I remember having these thoughts and feelings like, oh my God, like I have to take care of him. Of and your remember, husband. Yeah. And I remember one time being like, do you want me to, to do something for you? Like, I feel so bad. And he looked at me, he's like, Sarah, like, that's not your responsibility. Like, you're not Aww. responsible for me. Like, I'm so glad that you're like taking care of you. But like, I think he said something to me like, I, ha I have hands, like I'll be okay and we'll be okay. And what was so amazing about this is we reached like a whole new level of intimacy that for us postpartum, I would still say it was shaken because you do become very transactional with each other because you're like literally in this, I, I, it almost felt like you're across the room, like high-fiving, like we're getting through. But it we had gone through so much of that new form of detachment and intimacy through the pregnancy that allowed us to have a maybe an easier experience postpartum. But I would imagine how jarring it is to go from, and it's true, like you literally go through so much, you're so exhausted. And on top of that, have to have the concerns of, I also need to take care of this because we're reading and knowing stories like that are happening. We're hearing those types of statistics. Men need to figure out how to heal their own shit before they're getting into that kind of stuff because that can't be another th burden for a woman to carry that that's so not okay and i say it in the sense of like men need to have more conversation they're obviously doing it out of an unhealed place i don't think that everybody's just going out there being like my wife won't have sex with me therefore i'm going but to do this but i think us as women we also need to have these open conversations we need, like we you do. and your partner reached a new level of intimacy because yeah. he checked in with you which is amazing because not yeah. every person has that type of communication everyone yeah. communicates differently so luckily he checked in with you and then you were able to feel safe enough to be like yeah actually thank you but it was a fear before we yeah. checked the 100 it was one of those like we went from honeymoon phase to oh my god we can't have sex slash like we're not even potentially like we can't, we're not allowed to have sex without risking our child's life or my life that was a whole other level of like being married and you can't have sex like that's kind of the best part of the deal right. and it was uh i hate saying this because it's like it was such a sucky time but it changed our relationship for the better well yeah because you had to talk mm -hmm. <laughs> we had to talk but that's the thing is like it does it's uncomfortable to have those conversations with your partner sometimes and be like how are we going to get through this moment of time and it takes a lot of emotional maturity on both sides and the reality is your partner has to meet you there you can't do that work for them. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because all the books that I read about it, it does talk about, since being such a logical person to trying to understand emotions, it's your most difficult conversations are the conversations that will save you. Your most difficult mm. conversations is what will save your relationship. And not so only, true. you're constantly getting to learn about each other. That's yeah. the craziest part as well. But you it's exhausting having these conversations, too. Do you ever have those like big talks and at the end of it, you're like, or even go to therapy and you like feel like you need a nap afterwards? 
that's a it's a I do another really very drained, yeah it is really hard especially after you've had kids and you're already tired to have those conversations but you're yeah, right the I hardest have a cat, ones. so I can totally I relate to what you're going through us mothers having to stick bit, together your your cat is a bit codependent though I will give you that <laughs> my cat's really codependent she is I know she's in the room with us right now she was like I gave me this like panicked look and I was like oh my god your cat's like panicking you're like it's because I left the room and I was like oh you have a toddler <laughs> I know she's so cute I love her yeah do you think the conversations that you were going through with your current partner, do you think it was something that you were lacking in your last? Yeah. And I think that I was, again, like I was not a person of her own opinion. So it's very difficult to be in What's a relationship. What's your sign? Uh, Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't relate to it though. I feel yeah. more of a Sag, but that's okay. Uh, apparently my moon signs or something are more relatable, but What's I, your moon? I don't even know. I'd have okay. to check it out. But I, I don't know. Uh, it's whatever they tell it's me. whatever it is. It's <laughs> whatever someone else tells me. And I'm I like, yeah, so that's me. I get so mixed up because I've done like my kids charts too. And then I mix them up with my own. So I don't right. remember what they are. But with, um, with my ex, like, to be honest, I just didn't challenge anything because I wasn't in a mindset of ever thinking about my own self. It's, it was, I really... I entered into that relationship when I was 17 and I had three kids by the time I was 25. There wasn't a lot of thinking about me. Yeah, we had to go down this like big long road from like I did myself along with my kids and my entire family as we uprooted and restarted. But I had to have uncomfortable conversations with myself in order to have uncomfortable conversations with anybody else too. What is something that you wish you could have told yourself or someone could have told you when you were moving in back with your parents and going through a divorce as someone with three children. Mm. What do you wish someone would have told you? I think that you just never rebuild a, you would never rebuild a house the same way. So everything that's been, not that you don't make the same mistakes twice, but you wouldn't build the same house again. You would always build it based off the things you learned from the first one. You don't It's kind of like the three little pigs, right? Where they go through the different houses until the one is like really good. It's all for something. And I wish that, I wish I held a little, I think I was a bit of a cynic when I left. I think I was a bit of a- anyone would be. I was just like, I'm done. I think I'm good forever. I was very like happy to just be me and my kids and figure that out. I never imagined or created a possibility that A, I was desirable for anybody else that be, I had a whole other life waiting for me. And I was happy in that moment of having not much, if anything, to my name, except for my kids. But I think I really had this idea that marriage was the only, the only experience I had. And that's the only version of it that I knew, which is fascinating because we would never do that in any other context of life. You would never compare jobs to each other. You would never compare you know, your relationships with your parents to each other in, in the same way. It's all lived experience. And yet with marriage, we sort of like put it in this one category when it's individual experiences well, of two humans. People teach us that that's the end game. And if you can't yeah. make a marriage happen as a woman, you failed. Yeah. I think coming out of it, my biggest thing that I've reminded myself and and as I've sort of become more open to my own opinions, I guess, is that marriage is a union of two humans and that humans will always be more valuable than unions. And I wish going back to that, I would have, I could have looked at it and said, like, it just gets so good because you've learned so much. You're not going to make these 
quote unquote mistakes again. I'm hesitant calling them mistakes because I have these three beautiful kids. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. But a lot of self-denial, I'm going to say. That was my mistake, if I'm going to name one. It was denying myself an opinion, denying myself building a life that I loved because I was building it for everybody else. So I would never, I don't know why I'm stumbling over these words. You would never build the same house twice if it fell down the first time. Yes. So the second one, like you, your life will always be better if you're building off of even quote unquote a failure. It, it can't be a failure if you learn something. It can't be a failure if, that's why I saw somebody once talk about there's no such thing as a bad date because you always learn something about yourself. Yeah. It's and I think that too, like it was a long marriage, it was a long relationship, but I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about what wasn't going to work for me. And now I got to build a new life based off actually not denying myself anymore and figuring it out with somebody new. What was it about Shane, your current partner, mm-hmm. that suddenly gave you hope again or something about him, you know, you... It stopped you from being jaded. It gave you mm-hmm. hope that, oh, there's a opportunity in second love. Because there's this quote that I saw on the internet that I actually love. Who gives a fuck about your first love? Give a big round of applause for your second love. Because they taught you love still exists after you thought it never could again. That's so sweet. Yeah, that's a, and that's just exactly it. To be honest, I was pretty jaded. And I kind of thought he would be like somebody I would casually hang out with. Maybe we were coworkers and I just didn't really take it seriously. And then I really liked him and that bothered me too because I didn't want I didn't want to sliver off any part of myself to anybody else. Right. But what was interesting about him is he – we were both divorcees. We'd both gone through like big relationships before. And I think we were just like cutting through the bullshit. Like he was like, oh, I love camping. And I'm like, I hate camping. Like I'll never go camping. And he's like, okay. Like I don't, we almost like we're good with having differences. It wasn't about like having everything the same, but our core values were the same. Our core, like us just, we genuinely just like each other. Like we were having this conversation the other day and I was like, who would you say your best friend is? Because we were talking about like different people in our life. And he was like, genuinely, I think you're my best friend. And I was like, I would hope so. That's like, but that's like really a cool thing to think that you're getting to build a life with somebody who's your best friend, not like a lover, not like, like a lover is so many different things. Somebody actually at that same sex therapist actually said to me that being a lover is not so much about sex. It's being able to do things with somebody that you can't do with anybody else. And I'm like, it's true. You wouldn't like cozy up on the couch and do that. You wouldn't like strip naked or get in a shower with somebody. You wouldn't like, it's not all sex, right? Like being lovers is so much more than that. And I feel like he really 
also allowed me to, I was in, I was deeply in my healing. Like I was so untrusting. I would start so many fights with him over the stupidest shit when we first started dating because I was so used to having angst and drama and like it was so not trusting of something being authentic and real that I would constantly poke and challenge at it. And he really called me out on my shit when I needed to. He was also very empathetic with me. He was, he never, and to this day, has never made a comment about my body. He will always tell me that I'm beautiful and that he loves me. And he kisses me in the same spot on my shoulder every morning. But he will has never, and I like for I've literally gained 50 pounds in front of his eyes. And I've never heard him say a single comment about my body. The only time he said anything that was a sliver of a body comment was when I first gave birth and I had what was new for me in postpartum, which is like an, it was an overhang in my belly, like where it actually like flapped over. It's called an apron belly because of course women are in aprons. But I was like, oh my God, like, look at this. And he was like, but yeah, like you're body like carried a whole baby it's like a pouch and like that just makes sense that that would happen and I was like oh and that's the most he's ever said and it was like so matter of fact but other than that he's just I think he must have we we had a conversation on my pos- podcast about this because we did a Q&A and somebody said like how, how did you respond to Sarah when she was like so small and clearly disordered in her eating and he was just like I just he just reminded me that, you know, bodies change and bodies ebb and flow and like life is to be enjoyed. And I think if it wasn't for him easing me into enjoying life and not just existing in it and not just trying to remain small in it, I might not have had the same experience. So I healed while, like I healed before I met him, I was healing and while meeting him and have ever since. But he had to like go through that shit with me before we got to a place of being good. That's really sweet. That means he was your sponge in a way that he was taking on your thoughts, your emotions, because you're the one that needed to heal versus with your first marriage or in your 20s, you were just constantly giving yourself to everyone else. So you got to finally, I think, experience being the taker with him. I ha- yeah, I had to be open to receiving that level of love and care and that's a really uncomfortable it, it, it sounds very wild, uncomfortable. But very uncomfortable especially for someone that's used to being the caregiver. The other day I said to um my assistant was over and we were shooting something and I needed like a spoon and I was like, "Carmen, could you grab me a spoon?" and she was like, "I'm so proud of you." And I was like, "Why?" She's like, "Because you actually asked for help." And I was like, "Oh, I'm still bad. I'm still like it's hard for me, but with my with my husband because he's like my person, I've gotten a lot better at it. Even the other night, um I was up sick in the night, my daughter was up sick in the night, and he like took care of her and he was like, "Just go take care of yourself. Like I've got it." And I was like, thank you so much for like doing that last night. And he's like, what? Caring for our child? Caring for you? Like why? Even after all this time, is it such a shock? Because I would do that for him in a heartbeat. But it's still so, it it can be hard for me to comprehend or accept that level of love, especially in the things that like obviously aren't great. You don't want to take care of somebody when they're puking, but he But does. I think also it's nice to acknowledge it. And I think the problem is that sometimes we say things like even in my brain, when when you were saying that, I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's a bare minimum as he should. And then I suddenly I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. That's not the bare minimum. Actually, you know, 
it's so nice to help other people, especially yeah. when you love someone. Mm-hmm. All you want to do is make them happy. And sometimes by making them happy is taking care of them. It makes you feel good. Love is so action. I, so when you also hear that validation, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's where it comes from. He he loves you. He wants to help you. And then you telling him, saying thank you, you should say that. I yeah. think we forget that even when we're in a couple that, oh, well, you're doing the bare minimum. So I'm not going to say thank you. No, you should still say thank you. It's your partner. They're, they're showing that they care about you. Yeah. Uh, oh, 100%. I think that anything that you do that's nice for somebody, the second it becomes expectation, yeah. you don't want to do it anymore. So I, I love... I love being thanked for doing basic shit, bare Me minimum too. shit. If I do the dishes, my <laughs> husband will be like, oh, thanks so much for cleaning up the kitchen. I know you had a long day at work. I'm like, thank you. I did have a long day at work and you're welcome. I like that. Yeah. And I make sure I do it for him too. <laughs> I think it's just like, a, I see you. Like, I see you. I see you're doing the stuff. And I know there's a lot of unseen things that we don't see each other doing, but like, thank you for doing it. I like everything you're saying. And the, when you talk about your current partner, your face lights up. Because I read all these books because I stay home a lot. So there is this psychology thing behind. I don't even know why I'm telling you this out loud. There's a psychology thing behind. It's called Eight First Dates. And if you read the book, mm-hmm. it talks about the things that you need to continuously talk with your partner before your marriage, during your engagement, during your marriage, and then again, when you have children, it's just the conversations you should never stop having. Mm. And these scientists, they did research on couples that's really frowned upon this research because they said their research helped them determine which couples will stay together and which couples will break up. And this is where it's frowned upon. And it had to do based on how people speak about their partners. So even like, so my brain, I'm just always trying to analyze things. So even me asking you specific questions, my brain is analyzing. And it's all about how you answer. Are you saying a lot of we? Are you saying a lot of I? Do you remember specific moments of how you made each other feel? Like remember specific moments and how your face lights up. And is it challenges or is it things you guys got through together? Mm. So like you talking about with uh, your current partner about we had to have these uh, hard conversations, but it made us stronger. We got through it. Yeah. That's a positive part versus, and then he just wasn't there for me. And then he like wouldn't say thank you during the dishes. And he did this <laughs> and this. And you're like, uh, okay, yeah. you, I'm not a marriage counselor. Maybe this you should be yeah. having this conversation out here. Well, and honestly, so it's interesting. we're also two divorcees. We exist in a marriage where divorce is always on the table. And I said this out loud once and people were like, I would never go into a marriage without the full commitment of it being forever. I'm like, I didn't say that. I said divorce is always on the table because if divorce is always on the table, you know that the door is open to leave anytime and you choose to stay there. I love looking at my partner and knowing that he chose to be there that day because divorce is always on the table. I love that. Yeah, every day to know that your partner gets to choose you every single day. And it makes you more intentional. We always know that we've been in relationships before that we fully thought were going to be forever and they didn't work out for whatever reasons, right? Very different reasons and for different amounts of time. But regardless, they didn't work out. And so to know that it may not makes me want to be more intentional to make sure it does. It makes me want to say thank you for things. It makes me want to appreciate him more. It makes me see it. And I think there's been times where, especially early in the relationship, where I was looking for everything wrong. I wanted to see it. That's all I wanted because I didn't want to believe it to be real. It was easier for me to think that it wasn't, that I was this unlovable person and that this was all some big lie Mm. than it was to receive this type of love. And I think 
as I've softened over the years and I've be, we got married, even after we got married, I don't even think I had the same level that I do now, especially after the last few years that we've been through. We've been married for four years now. We'll be married five this year. And yeah, knowing that this has the potential to not work out makes me want to do everything to make sure it does. And that doesn't mean me serving him. It means that I have to make sure that I am living in a way that is not self-denial that serves me and that I pour that back out. Like you're, I can't fall on the sword for him, for my kids, for anybody. I have to make sure that I'm good so that I'm good for them. That's, I mean, loving yourself is so much bigger than you. I agree. Cause I think you can be everything for everyone else if you're nothing to yourself. Yeah. So it's really important. What would you say in a few words the biggest lesson you learned in your 20s versus the biggest lesson you learned in your 30s? The biggest lesson I learned in my 20s is to be okay to get things wrong. Like that's not the worst thing in the world to be wrong. Like it's okay that it's humbling, but it's good. And then in my 30s, I think it's, you know, I've said this a lot. It's been like the echoing, but it's sort of how I live now is just to show up and exist in your own life and make sure that you're living it. I don't want to be on the sidelines of my own life because I haven't reached X, Y, Z. You called it the destination. Destination addiction. Yeah. or just Like I don't, this is the shot I have and it's not guaranteed and I want to be here for it. And I want to show up and do these things and I want to take those chances and I want to tell people I love them. I want to be super weird about it. I'm sort of done that like version of myself that is so compromised and full of self-denial that I just want to be more authentically myself. And that takes finding out who I am continuously. But I do think, and this is one thing that I think we always talk about, like going out and finding yourself. I think finding ourselves is coming home inherently to who we have always been. And that takes like a lot of deep, like inner, I I think who I was when I was six years old and who I claimed to be at like the utmost confidence where you think that the world is at your feet and you might be able to fly. Genuinely thought I could fly for a second. But you have these like beliefs in yourself when you're like five or six years old and then you're slowly told what you're not. But you believed you were at the beginning. So I think on these missions to go find ourselves, we really just have to go back into who we believed we were in the first place and go back to that person and fight for her. And I think that that has been a big driving force in how I show up for myself because six-year-old me always wanted to do something and I don't want to deny us that. So I'm, even when I'm uncomfortable, I hope to keep just showing up. I like that. I agree. It's kind of that feeling of I deserve to be here just like anyone else. And it's it's eventually you just realize that I deserve to be here. I deserve mm-hmm. to exist with this body. Whatever is changing every single day, you yeah. deserve to be here. I love that. And I, I really do agree with the younger self. I agree mm-hmm. that's where we all in a weird way end up going mm-hmm. where I remember when I used to dream and I used to manifest and I used to believe that things are possible. Like, let's just go back to that. Like who you were before people told you that you can't do something. A hundred percent. I think it's so telling when we go back and 
if you read like old journals or what you said about what you wanted to do in your life when you were young and how often they're like, if you are truly in a happy state of life, it's often in alignment with who you wanted to be when you were young. What job did you want when you were young? I actually thought I wanted to be some form of a performer. I thought I would like be a singer or in movies, which is so funny because I saw myself on a stage, Mm -hmm. but I actually have incredible stage fright for singing. My voice, I was like trained singer. My voice shakes on stage and I did not like drama. So I was like, I sucked at memorizing lines. So that didn't work for me. But it's so amazing to me that I believed there was a stage And the stage that I was envisioning at six years old was something that didn't even exist because it was actually just being able to be online, like being able to use social media is now like this new stage, but it's not a performance. It actually was uh, removing the performance part of who I was online and actually being real, uh, using what my therapist told me to do, which is write down my thoughts, which became my captions, what became viral posts that got shared. And suddenly I grew millions of followers by what recognize yeah being myself and recognizing that there's a whole bunch of other people who have very similar feelings and have gone through similar things and are really ready to talk about it i was always a performer growing up Mm -hmm. like dancing i was pretty chubby growing up and i would just uh everyone would be in their little tights and so me but with my belly and i would Mm -hmm. just do my dances and then i had such overly confidence that i was in a competition where I played the violin while singing Titanic. (gasps) I do not sing and I was the worst in the orchestra thing with the violin but no one told me that I wasn't good (laughs) so just me performing singing Titanic while doing that but my dream I didn't even think any twice about the performing I just thought it was just extra my dream was to be Oh my God, what are you going to say? An assassin. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's not live that dream. Maybe in a video game. I was such a loner as a kid growing up. And I constantly, I think it it was so hard for me in a weird way to constantly feel like I fit in, especially because I was getting bullied for my birthday fight growing up. I kind of lived in a fairy tale. My, I used to play a lot of games and I was I have a big imagination. I used to break into haunt, I used to break into abandoned homes when I was like 6 years old because oh I'd be looking for ghosts and vampires and things like that and I would just hang out by myself and I would just look for things and I would imagine in my head that things were happening in this house. Oh and God. that's how I was finding joy because with other people I just felt like I couldn't relate. Mm. I could have related to them if I just talked to them. Yeah. But instead it was just more of the no one gets me. So I'll just live in my dream. And that's how I just did. It was my escape. And in my brain, I always thought that I aspired to be an assassin, but an assassin that kills bad people, not good people. Ooh, and I just ooh, always like a thought in a weird way that if people were afraid of me, then they would love me. So that assassin oh. thing was the people would be so scared of me. They had no choice but to be forced to love me. And then they would stay. And then none of them could ever leave me because they love me because they have to. And they're a little bit, yeah, because they're terrified. I just assume fear is the same as love because I feared my dad. So I loved him, Mm. you know, so it was it was this weird thing. And that's why I always aspired to be an assassin because because I was just like this little loner that no one was scared of. So then no one. So I would get bullied. And I was like, well if they were scared of me then they had no choice but to be around me and then eventually they will learn to love me it's a little is sad is that the psychology of bullies no oh okay <laughs> like are <laughs> they doing it to find love the psychology of bullies is normally they're getting bullied at home <sighs> or they hate themselves yeah 
So usually if you're getting beat up in, mm -hmm. at home, you take your anger out in school. Hurt people hurt people. But obviously as a child, no one's sitting around the psychology trying to understand, wait, before I punch you in the face, is it? Is it actually internalized? Oh my God, it's because my dad doesn't love me. Hey, so sorry, I'm not gonna actually punch you in the face. It's like, no, kids don't think like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, that hurt people, hurt people comes up so much with the way that people treat you online and stuff. But one thing I've had to really remind myself is hurt people, hurt people, and that's so valid, but you also don't have to be a, a punching bag to the hurt. A hundred percent, I agree. Bless and block. Is there anything you wanted to add that you feel like I didn't ask you? No, I feel like we had a really good conversation and I'm glad that I didn't know what we were necessarily going to talk about. And I think we went a few different directions with it. I just hope that people don't give up on the idea of love for themselves. I hope that they feel a little bit inspired by somebody who really struggled their whole life. I think we all have. I think we all have in some way or another struggled to, we spend too much time with ourselves. We have too much time with our own reflection. It's why we can see beauty in yeah. everybody else and we can't see it within ourselves. So if you can't see it, can you choose to love it? Can you respect it? Can you Do you feel like you it? learned anything from this interview? Yeah, that hate is easy. That is going to stick with me. That's going to stick with me. I guess you are still a sponge. I am still a sponge. <laughs> Didn't work no, out for you. No, but that's a good one. That's a good one. Get a refund for the therapy. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but being part of forming your own opinions is listening to others, right? Yeah. And then you get to choose. That That was a that was a bit of a light bulb aha for me, I think. Just that hate is easy. And that's why the fight for love is so beautiful and so compassionate and strong. It's not weak. But I also like the fact that, yes, we are talking about self-love, but I love the idea that you don't actually have to completely fix yourself, whether it's physical or emotional no. or mental, before you are okay with attaching yourself to a partner. Yeah. It, I think it, it's so beautiful that you were learning how to love yourself prior, then you were learn, um, going through a divorce, mm -hmm. having to rebuild yourself and your identity, then you were learning to love yourself while loving someone else. Mm -hmm. And that person gave you this extra love that you didn't even know could exist and mm -hmm. you didn't even know would help you heal even more. I think yeah. that part is beautiful that even I had to learn that I thought, well, first I have to heal myself before mm -hmm. I find someone. I feel like it's like a debit and credit system. It has yeah. to, you have to be working within relationships that add value back into what you and are, are inherently already giving. So it's not about what can I give of myself to this person? It is wanting to add on top of what they already are and them adding value to your life too. And that you yeah essentially level up as a human being because we all deserve support too, right? We deserve support. We deserve relationships um, with each other in a beautiful way. We don't deserve anything. I think, I don't like when people use that, well, I deserve this, blah, blah. I think- But you're allowed it's it. It's all nice. You're allowed it. Yeah. I don't think we deserve things because then that means that mm. when I think of deserve, I think of demand. Oh, okay, I'm demanding. Gotcha. I you owe me this. No one owes you anything. No one. You don't deserve anything. But it is nice, and you should allow yourself. I think you can't expect other people to give you what you deserve, but I think mm. you can give yourself what you deserve. Yeah, that's a good way of framing it. I think as somebody who struggles to accept love, it's important to remember that like it's okay to have that. It's okay to receive it. And that you have a hard time accepting love because you have a hard time giving yourself love. Yeah. So that's where it comes from. So you deserve to be loved with yourself mm -hmm. and then you deserve to accept this type of love. Yes, Not that yes, you yes. deserve everyone loving you. Deserve you deserve to accept it. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the right way to You deserve that. to be loved well 
but it has to start with you. And the reason it's for many of us, it's hard to accept love. It, a comes from childhood trauma. So it's hard to accept love because when you grow up not knowing what love is or when your whole world is shattered, but what you thought your life is going to be, mm. how are you going to believe that you deserve love when clearly you stop believing after a while? Because yeah. you stopped believing in that fairy tale. The house was broken down. You have three yeah. kids. You said, I'm not, a, no one's attracted to me. I don't, you know, so when someone's looking at you and they're saying you're beautiful, this and that, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to believe someone else loves you? You don't know what it is. Yeah. You don't see it. But if someone else, if you don't love yourself right now and I come to you and I say, you're beautiful, but you'd be more beautiful if you lost five pounds. You, in a weird way, would feel more drawn to me because you believe me because I will be validating exactly mm. how you feel deep inside about yourself. Yeah. Oh, 100%. There's so many layers to the reasons that we do things and why. And I think that's why it's so important that we're paying attention i know all of that honestly makes me want to cry right now and if i wasn't so dehydrated i'm just so touched by the conversation and also everything i'm saying i feel all of it you're so passionate today and i love it i'm like this every day people are like i can't imagine what it's like to date you imagine what it's like to live in my body imagine what it's like to be me forget dating me i have to be this every day but everything i do in life is with passion but i think that that's a beautiful thing i don't think that's a negative thing i think to be able to enter into a relationship with somebody who has passion and is willing to dig deeper into stuff that means that that's somebody who's constantly in a realm of leveling up who they are that's true okay well where can people find you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can find me on the Birds Papaya on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. I also have the Papaya podcast. But yeah, if you come over to Instagram, that's where I am the most. Usually in stories. I'll make you laugh in stories and I'll make you cry in posts. And that's about it. Make sure to follow her on everything and subscribe to her podcast because you can also check my episode on her podcast. It already came out or coming out soon. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Almost Adulting. If you're not subscribed already, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but subscribe right now. It's your only mission in life. And don't forget to love yourself. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Love you. Bye.